Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Rio Rancho. For those of you guys who don't know where Rio Rancho is, it's in Albuquerque. For those of you who don't know where Albuquerque is, don't know what to tell you. It's uh, one of those events where they have a fight night in just like a random city. Uh, you know, Albuquerque is mainly known for New Mexico and obviously the Jackson Wink camp that's down there. Uh, so I guess they think it's a hot spot for them to go down there and, and bring a fight night. So I can't really blame them. Uh, let's quickly go over this last uh, event that I had, which was UFC 247, headlined by John Jones and uh, Dominic Reyes. Say what you want about the decision in that fight. But I covered it a ton in my uh, last couple podcasts, so make sure you guys check out those as well. All right, let's go over the actual bets for that event. So my dog of the night play was a 1.4 unit play at plus 135 on the Alex Morona and Callum Williams under two and a half. No brainer there. Uh, I thought Morona was going to be the one that actually comes out with the fixture here. However, you know, poor striking defense allows Callum Williams to land flushly on uh, Alex Morono, hurt him, and then uh, go for the kill and get that quick finish. I think it was like 30-something seconds. Great win for him and a nice cash for us as well. I was going to be super bummed if uh, both of my violence bets did not hit. Uh, speaking of my other violence bet, it was my lock of the night play. I had four units on uh, Yusuf Zalal and Austin Lingo to go under two and a half rounds. Minus four units there. You know, I wasn't expecting Zalal to take such a grapple-heavy approach. I was expecting these guys to sling it out on the feet a little bit more. And, uh, you know, Zalal comes out there and catches as an underdog for most, pe- most people. But I thought the under was the safer bet here. Unfortunately, I was wrong there. So minus four units there. And then just uh, another random play that I had. Two units. Minus 132 on Mursad Bektik. I'm officially off his train. This is the fight that actually made me believe that. You know, not trying to take away anything from Dan Ige. But you can see from certain things in that fight. Like Bektik just just wasn't there. Not living up to the potential that we gave out to him uh, initially. And it's tough to. You know, people were like comparing him to like uh, George St. Pierre. Especially considering the fact that he was training at a TriStar. So... You know, maybe too high of a ceiling that we were setting for Bektik, uh, but I thought he was still going to be able to go out there and get the victory over a guy like Dan Ige. But, you know, attribute it to either Dan Ige's progression as a fighter or Masag Bektik's drastic fall from grace. Uh, regardless, it's minus two units there, and I probably won't be betting Bektik mo- going forward. Uh, and this was the harsh lesson that I had to learn about him there. So, uh, unfortunate loss there, minus 4.11 units on the event. Don't really want to get too far into it. Just, just bummed, but... Um, I did also have a small dog of the night play on uh, the Invicta 39 card, which was the night before. Had 0.75 units at plus 225 on Ashton Covens over Jin Yu Fry. Uh, super, super close fight. Saw a lot of people giving the scorecards to uh, Ashley Cummins. Uh, you know, saw a few the other way. Not going to really call robbery just due to the fact that I have bias on this due to the fact that I had money on the fight. So can't really complain too much there. Uh, but yeah, that was a minus 0.75 units as well. So Rough weekend, but uh, we're back at it for Rio Rancho. And thankfully for us, there's another seven straight events coming right up, uh, including a couple of Bellator ones sprinkled in there as well. So uh, plenty of time to, to to make up for that. Um, you know, and obviously the the crappy run that I had to to finish off 2019. But here we are. Let's we're we're gonna get right back into it. So uh, UFC Rio Rancho overall decent card. You know, t- tough to find ones that are really um, in the realm that to that that make me really want to get up for it. Um, 
better than 247, I believe, overall in terms of like talent that's stacked out uh, throughout the card. Um, but, you know, Nathaniel Wood fighting John Dodson is a great rite of passage fight for uh, Wood, in my opinion. Jim Miller always brings a fun fight. He's going up against Carl Holtzman. Uh, Mirab Devalishvili is always a guy that I love watching due to his crazy cardio. Yancey Medeiros versus Lando Venata just seems like a fight that they put together for, for chaos purposes. Uh, Return of Montana De La Rosa, who's somebody that I've been uh, high on. Crazy, crazy fight that we got in Diego Sanchez and Michelle Pereira, which should be fun. And then obviously our main event, Corey Anderson versus Jan Blahovic too, since they actually fought way back in the day. Um, way back at UFC 191 to be exact, where Corey Anderson was able to grind out a decision over Jan Blahovic. But both fighters have made tons of improvements since that fight, so it kind of makes sense as to why this fight is is being booked now. Uh, and it's more than likely going to be a number one contender fight too, so I'm super excited uh, to find out who's actually going to emerge from that. It seems like the way that John Jones is talking about uh, you know, his future post Dominic Reyes. It seems like he's not going to be given Reyes that, that rematch that a lot of people believes he deserves. So... The next number one contender could definitely come from this fight. And it works out in terms of the timing, you know, just a weak difference in terms of when they last fought so they can match each other up, hopefully, uh, you know, midsummer or something like that. And we know John Jones wants to re- remain active too. So uh, I could see him flushing out three fights this year. And I think J- uh, July would probably be the best time for him to come back. But let's just get into the freaking card. We're going to be going from bottom to top, starting off with Mark De La Rosa versus Howland Paiva. I'll start off with Mark De La Rosa, you know, Really good jiu-jitsu player, 11-3, coming off of two losses now to Kai Car France and Alex Perez. Uh, the Kai Car France fight was a little bit closer. He had a little bit of success there. And then Car France was able to land the bigger shots, uh, you know, have a lot more success. Alex Perez used a very grappling heavy approach to get uh, Mark De La Rosa down and shut down his jiu-jitsu so he wasn't even able to, to really throw up any submissions. And then the Joby Sanchez fight was pretty close you know he was uh eating a lot of shots there joby sanchez had some success on the feet um but mark de la rosa just implemented this this move forward style that really uh you know threw a wrench in joby sanchez's game plan with holland paiva on the other side we're talking about a guy that's 18 and 3 uh very lengthy um you know throws quick great combinations moves very well too has decent enough jujitsu the last i heard he was a purple belt but had you know championships over all over brazil regarding that he's coming off of two losses as well one to kai car france as well in a fight that he probably should have won that was a fight that was in front of uh kai car france's pretty much hometown so anytime that uh kai was able to land crowd went crazy and i believe that really did have a an effect on the judges um you know, I probably would have given that fight to Holland Paiva if I'm being completely honest. He landed a lot of good shots on Kai Car France. Um, you know, had a lot of success in the Alan Nascimento fight. That was another really great one for him too. Uh, ended up getting a split decision there, but I think he, you know, fully won that fight. Should have been a unanimous all around in terms of how that one stray judge saw it for uh, Nascimento. I won't really know. Uh, and then the Bond turn fight, you know. Had a lot of success on the feet, hurt Bonturin, showed great hands, showed great hand speed, uh, and then Bonturin comes back and hurts him and then opens up a very, very nasty cut, uh, which forces the stoppage there three minutes into the first round. So we didn't really get to see that fight play out too much. I would have loved to see it play out, actually, considering both of their styles. Both of them are fighting on the same cards. So they probably could have matched them up here, if we're being honest. But, uh, you know, fresh matchup, can't really complain about that. 
I think Paiva being the minus 200 favorite here roughly is is about right. I think he's going to have the advantage on the feet. Um, I think he's decent enough on the ground and decent enough takedown defense as well to to stay out of any trouble from Mark De La Rosa. And it was kind of uh, underwhelming in terms of the type of offensive guard that we saw from Mark De La Rosa. Um, I think if even if Paiva wants to take the skirt to the ground, he should probably have some success on, from on top. Um, but... Um, I think his best success will come from uh, the standing position, you know, moving well. Mark De La Rosa really plots pretty hard uh, on his front foot. So I think that's going to be open for Paiva to kick freely, um, which he has shown that he's done in the past. So I think that's a, a path to victory for him there. But, uh, you know, De La Rosa is quite uh, durable and quite, quite resilient. So I don't really see Paiva going out there and getting the finish here. However, I do think he will go out there and get the decision. Um, I expect him to light Mark De La Rosa up on the feet and just pretty much cruise 50 minutes. There might be some instances where De La Rosa gets this fight to the ground, but I don't think there's too much risk of a, a, a submission threat here for Paiva to worry about. So I'm going to take Paiva by decision. Uh, minus 200 is not that bad. I'm seeing the line swing a little bit more too. Let's see what it's at now. It was minus 200 when I earlier saw it. Yeah, it's still minus 200. I could see it getting a little bit better too, so I'd sit tight on that. Uh, but uh, I, I am thinking of Paiva as a bet, maybe as a lock of the night bet, if not as a potential parlay piece for something later on the card that I'll let you guys know about. But I definitely like Paiva here as a bet um, and think he holds some good value there as well too. So I'm taking Paiva by decision. Next up, we got Macy Kiasan against short notice replacement Shanna Young, who's stepping in for Nico Montano. If you guys don't know already, Montano had to pull out due to a MCL tear, apparently. So she's probably going to be hanging it up for a little bit. Um, not sure if she'll come back to the UFC. You know, the UFC has given her a bunch of chances. Um, say what you want about it being a, a, an injury. So maybe they should be a little bit more lenient about it. Uh, but she's had such a tumultuous career in the UFC. And as a champion at 4-3, and three, it's just former champion i should say it's it's a little bit crazy so uh inst up shanna young uh invicta fc product she's coming off of one victory actually over Maja suomata who is a girl that she actually beat in the phoenix series one round fights um way back in september uh she ended up losing later that night to miranda maverick who just pulled off a great victory over pearl gonzalez this past weekend uh so it's it's unfortunate for Miranda that she wasn't the one that got the call up, but then again, she did just fight last weekend. Uh, Shanna Young on the other side, I believe she is from that general area. Let me just confirm that. She's from Tennessee, so from the south, close enough, I guess. Uh, and the Suotama fight, she showed decent striking. Uh, Suotama really wanted to get the fight to the ground so she could show off her jiu-jitsu, which is where she you know has the, the best strength. Um you know, after the first round, it just seemed like Maiju really gave up there. Um, and Shana Young was able to take advantage of that. You know, decent striking. She's a strong girl. Um, you know, the, the the only thing about her striking is seems a little bit ro- robotic. She she kind of just throws her hands. She doesn't really put her body behind it. I think if we really saw her tighten that aspect of her game up, she has enough power in those hands to actually hurt some of these girls. Um, I don't think that there's an actual line out yet. Yeah, no, there's no line currently due to the fact that it's it literally just got put together yesterday i believe it was or earlier today but um you know i'm assuming that they're going to put kias on as a pretty heavy favorite due to the fact that it's such a short notice um i don't think that there will be enough value on macy kias to actually pull the trigger i do believe that kias will win and we'll just quickly go into her what her strengths are she's really you know she's very big in this and then something that 
people should really take into consideration is the fact that Shannon Young is a, a 125 or going up to 135 uh, on short notice. And Macy Kiasan, she won the Ultimate Fighter actually at 145, and now she's decided to come down to 135 to truly fight at a division that she believes she would have the advantage in. She's a big girl. She's a long girl. Let me get the actual statistics here for you guys or metrics. 5'9 with a 72-inch reach. And on the other side with Shannon Young, we're getting 5'7 with a 68-inch reach. So a little bit of a, a size advantage there for Macy. Huge camp advantage too, in my opinion, with Fortis MMA, who's on a huge run right now. I believe that she's having a lot of success, uh, you know, being with Safe Sayud and those guys. Um, unfortunately, lost last time around to Lena Landsberg. You know, it just seemed that Landsberg was just being the the, the grittier fighter there. You know, uh, probably first round for Kiasan, but from after that, you know, Kiasan wasn't really able to get Landsberg down or really implement uh, her 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 strategy. And Lena Landsberg was just having fun in the clinch. You know, that's kind of where Lena Landsberg lives. So that's not really where Macy Kiasan wanted that fight. You know, she has power in her hands too. I think that she'd be able to take advantage of the rudimentary striking of Shannon Young. You know, she's got to be careful because, again, Young does have a little bit of power. Um, but I think that this is a fight where Kiasan should smoothly, you know, she could probably get a finish here if I'm not, you know, she could probably get a choke. Now that I'm thinking about it, we have seen Shannon Young get tapped in the past. Um... I like Kiasan here. I would entertain the Kiasan inside the distance prop, but I don't know what that would be. I'm assuming she's going to open like a minus 300, minus 350 favorite. I wouldn't play her straight. I would entertain playing her inside the distance. Otherwise, I would totally pass this fight if I'm being honest. Um, but I got Kiasan. I'm going to say Kiasan by second round submission. Next up, we got Casey Kenny versus Marab Devalishvili. I kicked off this episode by telling you guys, that I'm a big fan of Devalishvili. 9-4, a little bit of a salty record. You know, the, the Frankie Science fight, very controversial decision there. Decision, nah, decision there. And then the Ricky Simone fight, you know, that was pretty much a uh, a fight that Devalishvili was about to win on the judges' scorecard, and then they somehow uh, give him that technical guillotine choke. The funny thing about that finish, I'll touch on it real quickly, is that, you know, uh, Merab was pretty much back uh, on his feet, ready to celebrate a little bit, uh, or not on his feet, but was getting up and in the process of getting to his feet. And then the commission came in, or, or the doctors came in, and they pretty much told him to lay back down and just chill out. I think that's kind of what attributed to the technical submission there. If he, if they allowed him to get back to his feet, and if he collapsed, you know, we could absolutely say that the guy was out. But if he had actually gotten up under his own strength um, and stayed on his feet. They probably would have given him the de the decision and probably not said that it was a technical guillotine choke. So, unfortunate loss for him there. He should technically be nine and two if we're being honest. You know, on a four or five winning streak within the uh, the UFC itself. Uh, but he is coming off of two straight victories over Terry Unwer and Brad Katona. The Katona fight was very very impressive. You know, you, he's going up against another grapple heavy uh, fighter, and he was able to go out there and pretty much. Grapple fuck Brad Cantona. There were plenty of, plenty of chances where Brad Cantona actually got back to his feet, but Devalish Feely is such a machine. I believe they've actually changed his nickname to that as well, if I'm not mistaken. But the guy's cardio is insane. Ray Longo talks about him on the Anakin Florian podcast pretty much all the time. The guy has cardio for days. He just keeps going, keeps wanting to train, keeps wanting to go endless rounds. And it's I, th I find it really hard for anybody to be able to keep up with the, the pace of him. The thing that Casey Kenny has here is he has decent grappling. You know, he showed off uh, his good scrambling ability against Ray Borg too. Uh, that was probably a fight that he probably should have lost. The Manny Bermudez fight, that was another fight where he was able to get away with a lot of top position. Um, you know, 
showed off decent cardio there, but you know, really started to suck the wind in the third round. And if you start to suck wind around Mirab, Mirab is going to see that he's going to rush you, he's going to overwhelm you, and he's going to decisively take the victory away from you, especially in the third round. I like Mirab here, if I'm being completely honest, and I love the fact that the line is getting a little bit closer. Um, what's it sitting at right now? Minus 150, minus 165 for Mirab. Probably going to bet this if I'm being completely honest. I'm thinking about going lock of the night deep on it. Maybe even 3.5 units due to the fact that it's such a low line. Uh, 3.5 to 4 units there. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, lock of the night plays I'm considering for this but I'm only going to stick to one max two uh, and Mirab is definitely up there for me you know Casey Kenny decent jiu-jitsu uh, but I think he's just going to get too overwhelmed by Mirab Devalishvili his entries are beautiful he's quick energizer buddy never stop moving um, Casey Kenny you know in his last two fights we have seen him slow down and we have seen you know Mira, uh, Roy, Roy Rayberg, Rayborg, Rayberg, Rayborg had a lot of success in that third round. Um, you know, Manny Bermudez had success in that third round, and I'm expecting the same from Mirab here if he gets there. Um, but I think that Mirab just, you know, Kane Velasquez is this. Kane Velasquez is him. If you guys are old school UFC fans, you guys will know that Kane Velasquez's style was he may not have had the best top position because guys were able to always get up, but he had the cardio, wrestling, and gas tank to be able to put these guys back on their butt and make them even more tired. So I'm expecting that type of approach here from Mayrab. Uh, he needs to be a little bit careful in terms of the first round with Casey Kenny's scrambling ability and his jiu-jitsu. But I truly believe that Mayrab is going to go out there and grapple uh, grapple for Casey Kenny. And I'm loving the line at minus 165. He was up to like the minus 200 range. Then we saw a bunch of money come in on Casey Kenny. But I, I love Mayrab here. And I just don't see how he loses this fight. Other than possibly getting some sort of getting caught in some sort of choke kind of like the uh what's that fight with ricky simone uh but i think he's he'll be okay to to get out of that so i'm taking mirab devalishvili by decision next up we got ray borg versus rogerio bontorin so we touched on bontorin a little bit earlier when i was talking about holland paiva um you know Bontorin went out there against Magomed Bilbalatov and sprung an upset. Probably, I believe it was the biggest upset of the night. Uh, split decision victory there. Super close fight. Um, you know, Bontorin landed a lot of bombs. Obviously, his strength is his jujitsu. Uh, I believe he's going to want to try to Im- Im- impose that here against Ray Borg, but it's hard for me to see how he's going to be able to submit Ray Borg. You know, Borg. Say what you want about him getting caught in that highlight real armbar by Demetrius Johnson way back in 2017. However, you know, technically he should be on a two-fight winning streak. That Casey Kenny fight super close, but I still think he won that. And then the great Gabriel Silva fight, we just he showed how good his scrambling ability is, how good his cardio is, uh, and how good he actually is. He, he is he is good. You know, say what you want about his mental state and all the injuries that he's had to overcome and all the personal stuff that he's had to overcome. One thing that he has remained consistent with, other than you know missing weight because that's been unfortunate for him, but in this. Uh, for him is this fight at 125 let me confirm that yeah so that is actually going to be something that people will need to look out for because his last fight against gabriel silver was at 135 this is going to be a fight at 125 against roger bontorin so uh it's hard for me to see how bontorin is going to go out there and tap ray borg after ray borg had such a you know impressive showing against gabriel silva who is also a great jiu-jitsu player um Juicy Formiga had a lot of issues trying to submit him as well and say what you want about that being all the way back in 2017. 
I believe he's still able to maintain that type of submission defense and scramble ability. And we've seen the scramble ability in his fights against Casey Kenny and uh, Gabriel Silva. So uh, outside of Bontorn landing some sort of Hail Mary submission, I just don't see him being able to, to submit Borg here. I like Borg, uh, not super minus 140-ish right now, not super keen on betting him. Uh, I got a there's too many other spots on the card where I feel comfortable putting money, and this one's a little bit uh, sketchy with the you know it being back at 125, um, and Bontran you know may have been uh, overlooked a couple times, and and he may continuously be progressing. He's 16 and one coming into this fight. The guy has a very impressive resume, um, so I'm I'm gonna go with Borg here by decision, uh, but uh, not sure if I'll bet it. If you guys want to bet it at minus 140, I'm not mad at that. Uh, but personally, myself, I think I'm going to be passing on this fight. All right, next up, we got uh, Scott Holtzman against Jim Miller. This is a fight that I am actually interested in for the the under. So the fight doesn't go to decision, currently sits at minus 150. There is no over-under currently available. I'm assuming it's going to be close to even money. Uh, I believe they'll also put it at minus uh, or, or at over-under 2.5. If they especially put it out over under two and a half, I'm definitely taking the shot of under two and a half. A part of me is, um, a part of me is very keen on wanting to bet Scott Holtzman here. You know, great puncher, a lot of lot of power behind it. Um, has a slick one two down the middle. Uh, is going to be the faster fighter here. It's probably going to be the stronger fighter out of the two as well. Um, but his his gaff against Nick Lentz is kind of concerning. That's a couple fights removed now. You know, he came back and, and beat Dong Young Ma. Uh, you know, had to get that st- fight stopped due to the fact that Ma's eye completely closed at the end of the second round. He wasn't able to see. But he was hitting Ma with some shots. He was hitting Nick Lentz with some shots too. And I believe if Holtzman lands on Jim Miller the way he did against Lentz and Ma, Jim Miller's probably going to get sat on his butt, let's be honest. Miller was durable way back in the day slowly as the as his career has progressed and as he's gotten older it's his durability has gone down i think that's called holtzman has the power to actually put him on his butt and finish him uh the concern here is if jim miller actually gets a hold of scott um you know if he lands one of his own bombs we've seen him land power power shots on a bunch of these guys and finish them uh clay guida jason gonzalez alex white he's just been pulling out some of these finishes out of his ass and you know I'm not going to count out the fact that he lands on Scott Holtzman. Everything tells me from the tape that Scott Holtzman is actually going to be able to get out of the way of any of the slower shots coming from Jim Miller. However, anything can fucking land. Nick Lentz went out there and grinded out Scott Holtzman. I could see Jim Miller going out there and trying to grind out Scott Holtzman as well too. Uh, maybe land a bomb on the way in and then just grapple him and and maybe try to take this into the jiu-jitsu realm. But we have seen him uh, you know, get close to gassing and... I think at that point, I think Scott Holtzman will be able to land shots on Jim Miller that Miller won't be able to come back for. So I'm really liking the under two and a half here. I'm liking Scott Holtzman as well too. I'm going to say he's going to win by KO or TKO, probably second round. Uh, But I really want to see if they drop the over under at two and a half. A part of me thinks they will just due to the fact that uh, Scott Holtzman has gone to a decision quite often. However, the way these styles match up, and and I think Jim Miller being the main ingredient here that will actually, you know, be the reason as to why this fight goes to a finish, and the hand speed and power of Scott Holtzman, I love it. I love the under, and the fact that it's going to be probably at a pick'em uh, price, 
completely on that as well. So I'm liking Scott Holtzman here. This might be a 1.5 to, to maybe even a two-unit bet, this under here. Uh, so I, I like it very much. Um, I think Scott Holtzman lands, though. I'm going to say second round and puts away Jim Miller. You know, surprise could happen where Jim Miller clips Scott Holtzman and gets the submission himself, but I'm going to bank more so on Scott Holtzman to win by TKO, uh, but not betting either side, so that's great because <laughs> one of them is probably going to get the finish. But I'm going to t- say officially Scott Holtzman by TKO second round. Next up, we got John Dodson versus Nathaniel Wood. This is a fight, another fight that's kind of closely lined. Nathaniel Wood seems to be running away a little bit in terms of the line. Uh, last time I checked, it was minus 145-ish, minus 150 for Nathaniel Wood. Now he's up to minus 160, so there seems to be a lot of money coming in on Mr. Wood. So let's start off with Wood. They call him the Prospect. I believe that's still his nickname. He's 16-3 and three now. He has put together 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 straight wins. Uh, his only loss was to Alan Philpott, uh, due to a broken nose. So can't really blame him for that one. <laughs> uh, with that said, you know, he's looked really great in his last couple fights. He's coming to the UFC and pulled off three straight finishes. Uh, Johnny Eduardo, Andre Ewell, and Jose Alberto Quinones. The guy looks good. You know, he fights long. Uh, he kicks very well. Uh, very good movement. Uh, very good with his combinations as well. He's very quick uh, getting in and out, trying to land on these guys and, and, and get out. Uh, and then his jiu-jitsu has looked top-notch as well. My only issue here with John Dodson is we, you know, Dodson has been going up against killer competition for his last many fights. They can even push it all the way back to uh, John Lineker with maybe the exception of Eddie Wineland there. But John Lineker, Eddie Wineland, Marlon Moraes, Pedro Munoz, in a fight that he won a split decision, probably should have lost, but, you know, won't say anything there. And then Jimmy Rivera and Peter Yan. It's hard to tell how much John Dodson has actually regressed um, or how much he is actually, you know, not how much he, his skill has depleted due to the high level of opponents that he's actually been facing. This is his first, like, this is the fight, I call it the rite of passage fight for Nathaniel Wood. If he's able to get past his veteran and John Dodson, who, you know, hard to finish, hard to put away, um, you know, you could probably drop the prospect from Nathaniel Wood if he gets past John Dodson here. Um, it's hard for me to see how Nathaniel Wood finishes him here. Uh, Dodson is just so quick, keeps moving, very explosive. Uh, the only thing lacking is his output. You know, when he does throw, he throws with a lot of heat, and I think that Wood is going to have to be very careful there because I don't know if he's really seen anybody that explodes as quickly as John Dodson nor throws as much heat as John Dodson. Um, I, I think that Wood's going to have to stay moving, uh, land the pitter-patter shots on the outside, throw a lot of leg kicks, try to slow down Dodson as much as he can. Uh, if he can get this fight to the ground, you know, not a lot of people have had success keeping John Dodson down. So maybe just mixing it up to keep John Dodson on his toes is the way to go here. But uh, I, I'm not too keen on taking the plus money on John Dodson. You know, again, He's fought top competition in his last couple of fights. We don't truly know how much he's regressed, but his lack of activity makes him hard, makes it hard to bet somebody like that. You know, you can say all you want about him, you know, having tons of power in a sense, but what if he doesn't land that shot? What if he always comes up like an inch short or something like that? You know, no pun intended there, but Nathaniel, what is strong? Let's let's get the actual, actual metrics here. 5'3", 66-inch reach for a... John Dodson, and then we got 5-6 with the 69-inch reach for Nathaniel Wood. So he's going to have a lot of room to cover there. He's going to have to, you know, get past the kicks of uh, 
of Nathaniel Wood, who I believe he's going to be using that quite often. Um, I don't see Dodson going often for uh, for takedowns, so that might be a little bit of a concern. But uh, yeah, at, at minus 160 now, I'm not as comfortable with betting Nathaniel Wood. I think he wins. I'm going to take him by decision as well. Uh, but he, he's got to be careful with Dodson, man. Dodson can crack. Uh, that might be the last thing to go as well is the power. I believe he still has a little bit of the speed. So Wood's really going to have had to study him, look for any type of, uh, you know, tells or any type of, um, uh, like, you know, any type of evidence that John Dodson is actually about to close the distance with the blitz. Uh, as long as he has that under wraps and he, you know, is able to keep it his distance but do his, his work still, he should be okay. So I'm going to take Nathaniel Wood by by decision. I will give it to John Dodson. Super, super, super durable. I don't think he's ever been finished, actually. Yeah, he's new, do, 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 never been finished, at least not according to his topology record. So this will be a really tough task for Wood. You know, the closest he got to actually going to a decision in the UFC was against Andre Yule before he pulled out that uh, that rear naked choke there with 38 seconds left. Very, very close fight. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm going to take uh, Nathaniel Wood here by decision. Just, just not enough reasoning for me to want to take the plus money on John Dotson, so you got to go with Nathaniel Wood here. All right, next up we got Tim Means against Daniel Rodriguez. I believe this is a short notice. Yes, it is a short notice for Daniel uh, Rodriguez. Kind of short notice. There's a lot of uh, hearsay in terms of the fact that Tim Means was supposed to fight Ramazan Amiv. From what I heard, Amiv never actually accepted that fight. Somebody reported it and and made it official, per se. Uh, however, he actually never uh, agreed to that fight. So in steps Daniel Rodriguez, who is coming off the Contender Series. Um, well... He was on the Contender Series, had a fight with uh, Smash Global, and then uh, now is making his UFC debut. Let's start off with Daniel Rodriguez. Um, he he seems a little promising. Uh, not the most potential, but I, he seems like somebody that, that throws with a lot of heat. He has a lot of finishes on his record. Um, you know, his fight against Rico Farrington was one where he was dealing with somebody with a very large frame. Um you know, he had to close the distance without trying to get hit as much. He shot off a lot of good leg, leg kicks there. Um, you know, landed a lot of power shots too. Uh, in his fight against Ivan Castillo, you know, landed a beautiful knee in a fight where they're pretty much just throwing back and forth. It was a, it was a great fight. Um, yeah, he, he has a lot of power in his hands, but uh, it, it's, it's a little bit slower. I think Tim Means is actually going to have the speed advantage here. Uh, most of his finishes or most of his uh, attacks come from his hands, uh, whereas Tim Means, I believe, is a little bit more diverse with his striking. You know, beautiful knees, beautiful elbows, beautiful punches and kicks. Uh, they just come from so many different weird angles. Uh, and Tim Means looked great in his fight against Thiago Alves. You know, hurt him, went for the choke, got the guillotine finish there. And he was coming back from a pretty severe uh, ankle, knee injury or leg injury of some sort after he got knocked out by Nico Price way back in March. Uh, made a relatively quick turnaround for somebody who went through something as devastating as that. Nine-month turnaround, comes in against Thiago Alves, gets the victory there. And now against Daniel Rodriguez, this is going to be an interesting fight. Something that I would entertain here is actually the fight doesn't go to decision. Uh, minus 240. Let me see what the under looks like. They'll probably set it at minus one or at one and a half. Uh, so that might be something that makes me a little bit skeptical. Skeptical. Uh, we could see an absolute like ten and a half, you know, 
12 and a half minute uh, striking clinic by Tim Means here. Daniel Rodriguez is quite durable. I'll give him that. Uh, but, you know, this is a fight that Tim Means should go in there and actually easily win. Uh, With Rodriguez, he does carry power, so it could get a little bit iffy for Tim Means. But, you know, ooh, minus 255 now for Tim Means. Not, not too bad. Um, I may revisit this later in the week. But I, I am going to take Tim Means here. Not sure if I'll actually make him like a parlay piece or anything like that. But I think just, again, with his diverse striking, his range, uh, his experience alone, you know, he's coming into this fight with his 42nd fight, whereas Daniel Rodriguez is only coming in with his 12th fight. Yeah, I see no reason to really bet Daniel Rodriguez unless you think that he's going to land that bomb on Tim Means and actually put him out. So I got Tim Means uh, probably by late second round TKO, just overwhelming pace. Next up, we got Yancy Medeiros versus Lando Venata. Surprised both these guys are still in the UFC, considering the fact that, you know, Lando Venata, what is he? Uh, th- one, three, and two. He's actually gone to two draws in, his, in three fights against Bobby Green and Matt Frivola, which is kind of unheard of. Nobody really has a draw ever on the record, let alone two. So that's that's something weird to, to see here for for Lando. But uh, this is kind of a fight that's just been put together kind of for the fans. You know, Lando Venata has a great wrestling background but never really uses it. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, wacky striking, you know, burst onto the scene against Tony Ferguson, hurt Ferguson so many times, never ended up finishing him. And then Tony Ferguson comes out of nowhere and just starts chokes him in the second round. But, you know, spinning wheel kick KO on uh, John McDessie way back in 20, 2016. Uh, outstruck by David Tamor. Outgrinded by Drakkar Close. Uh, and then Mark Casey, another one where he got completely outstruck. In this fight against Yancey Medeiros, it's a little bit easier for him, I think. Yancey Medeiros is a little bit more wild than his last couple of opponents. Um, you know, I'm not even talking about the Marcos Mariano fight because that guy should not be in the UFC. He was strictly given a UFC contract due to the fact that Anderson Silva took that main event slot against uh, Israel Adesanya is more so like a Chris Avila, Nate Diaz situation or a Artem Lobov and Conor McGregor situation. I don't believe Mariano is even in the UFC anymore. Uh, but uh, getting back to Lando Venata, it's just going to be chaos. You know, I think Madero's loves to loves a firefight. I think Lando Venata loves a firefight. I think that's what most people are expecting here. Uh, the fight doesn't go to decision is minus 150 right now. If they said a minus two and a half or under two and a half, it's something that I got to consider too, just considering how wild both of these guys are. Uh, Yancey Medeiros is a little bit crisper of a, uh, a striker, but still has a lot of holds. Uh, better jiu-jitsu, I believe, than Lando Venata, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is going to be longer too. So he might his best paths of victory might be to stay on the outside and pick apart Lando Venata if he's able to. But I think that Lando's just going to be able to close the distance too well for Yancey to 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 establish that type of game plan. So I, I got to go with Lando here. Um, you know, Yancey. You know, I'd say his biggest one to date is that fight against uh, Cowboy Oliveira. Oliveira, you know, broken nose in that fight, sucked a lot of wind there, and then unfortunately got the, the lost at the end of the third round there. Uh, and then Yancey Medeiros, you know, tough last two fights. Donald Cerrone finished in the first round, and then Gregor Gillespie completely grapple fucked him, and then eventually got a TKO finish near the ending of the second round. I think this is a gimme for both guys. You know, this is a chance for them to go in there, get a victory, get a you know, get double their money finally for the last couple of while that they weren't able to. Um, 
But yeah, I'm going to take Lando Venata here. I think he actually gets the finish. I think he TKOs Yanis Medeiros in the second round. Um, you know, I'm going to say the first round. I think they just go to war right off the bat, throw any game plan out the window, uh, and we see a little bit of a fun fight for however long it lasts. I will keep an eye on that under, though. If it's plus money at two and a half, I might have to take a shot there. But I am definitely liking the um, the Jim Miller and Scott Holtzman under two and a half a lot better. Don't even know what the odds are yet, but just based on what the fight doesn't go to decision says, that's probably what we're going to get. All right, next up, Brock Weaver against Rodrigo Vargas. Let's quickly start off with Vargas. His last fight against Alex De Silva uh, took that fight uh, in Brazil. Was it in Brazil? Pretty certain it was in Brazil. Come on. No, that was actually in Uruguay. Uh, you know, pretty much seems like a guy that just wants to go out there and strike. You know, a lot of antics in that fight against Alex De Silva. There were, I believe in the second round, he tried going for a takedown. It was a very half-hearted and shitty takedown where Alex De Silva was able to, um, you know, reverse it, get on top. And then, you know, the fight mainly played out as De Silva holding top position. Rodrigo Vargas didn't seem like he had much to offer off of his back or even, you know, to, to try and get up off of his back. Brock Weaver, on the other hand, is a guy that likes to implement his grappling, likes to be the more powerful guy in there. Uh, and, uh, you know, as soon as he can get this fight to the ground, I think that's what he's going to try to do. With the, with the weird um, personality that he has, and I mean that in the best way possible, you know, Brock, if you're watching this, not meaning to diss you or anything like that, but um, you, you would seem, you would assume a guy with the, 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 the personality that he has, that he's the guy that goes out on his shield and, and tries to swing for the fences and just go for chaotic finishes like that. However, he takes a pretty, you know, analytical approach to it in terms of trying to get his opponents down to the ground implement his strength as best as possible and he showed that in the ian freeman is it ian freeman james freeman fight uh where he ended up it says that it's a disqualification but if you guys actually watch it it was one of those where he had a a uh, an arm triangle locked up seemed like he had it locked up for a while and uh, i believe his opponent's coach believed he went out so his coach actually ran into the ring and was literally about to take brock weaver off of him before freeman actually tapped so literally as freeman was tapping his corner man came in and was about to intervene so they actually ruled it as a disqualification which is weird uh considering the fact that we saw the tap before any type of actual interference happened but his freeman's coach was well into the ring um before you know the fight was actually stopped so they ended up calling it a disqualification it was a clear-cut win um you know no bones about it they should just overturn it they should overturn it due to the fact that the tap was right before any type of intervention happened uh on james freeman's coach so uh you know good win for weaver there pretty dominant and then he comes in against devin smith on the uh on the contender series and just had a hard fought battle you know devin smith seemed like a guy that just wanted to try to get this fight to the ground worked hard for takedowns had one really good takedown right off the bat but after that it was having a lot of issues getting brock weaver down then brock weaver started showing off his own grappling was able to reverse the position against the uh cage you know there's a lot of clinching against the cage, but Brock Weaver was showing he was a more powerful guy or at least had a better level of, of sustaining his gas tank throughout the 15 minutes, kept uh, reversing Devin Smith, landing a lot of shots against the cage. I believe he's, you know, I, I've seen in past fights as well where he, where he implemented his grappling and his jiu-jitsu, and I think that's where he's going to have the advantage here against R R Rodrigo Vargas. Um, what's he at? Minus 280? Probably a good parlay piece, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
you know, I, I like him to go out there and, and grind out uh, Rodrigo Vargas. The only way I see Vargas winning this is if he catches Weaver on the feet. I just don't see that happening. Um, you know, Weaver is decent enough on the feet to 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 handle his own, but I think that he's really going to want to close the distance, get this fight to the ground, maybe get a, a submission, maybe a TKO. But I see him uh, winning this fight uh, strictly through his grappling. So I'm going to take Weaver by. Uh, I'm going to say third round submission. I think he uh, wears out Rodrigo Vargas, ground and pounds him. Vargas uh, turns to his back. Uh, and gets tapped out. So I'm taking Brock Weaver. Next up, we got Montana De La Rosa versus Mara Romero Barella. This is another potential locker that I played that I'm thinking about. So De La Rosa kind of let me down last time around against Andrea Lee. I bet her at roughly around a plus 200 mark. thought there was a ton of value there considering her massive grappling advantage or seemingly massive grappling advantage. Andrea Lee did a really good job in terms of getting back to her feet. De La Rosa was not able to hold her down and implement her jiu-jitsu. And then Andrea Lee pretty much started to have fun on the feet uh, in that aspect. Barella, on the other hand, I don't think that she's going to have as much success trying to get back to her feet. Um... You know, her last fight against Lauren Murphy, yeah, that was the last fight, uh, had some success in that first round. It was a relatively inactive first round from either woman, but uh, Barella definitely showed that she had this hand advantage, or the speed advantage, uh, the striking advantage, uh, did decent enough damage on Lauren Murphy in that round, and then in the second round, things kind of started to change. Lauren Murphy got the fight to the ground, then Barella got back up, uh, but then was just held up against the cage for pretty much... A solid two and a half minutes there's nothing that uh Barella could do to get off that 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 position that that disadvantage uh you know a position that she uh wasn't able to get out of and, and implement any of her game very very unfortunate for her even in the Tyler Santos fight that fight was a fight that played out largely in the the clinch realm um there was success on Taylor's side Taylor's uh uh, path to victory in that fight was pretty much to stay at range and let her striking go. Uh, there were instances where she was able to, but then Barella always initiated the clinch, and it was just like the Lauren Murphy second round, half last half of the second round. It was pretty much just clinching up against the cage. Um, I think she's going to have trouble against Montana De La Rosa. De La Rosa is going to be the stronger fighter here. She's going to be the bigger fighter here. I think she's going to have the better jiu-jitsu as well. So even if this fight hits the ground, I think we'll see De La Rosa dominate there. But if this fight's going to take place against the cage, you know, I I think that De La Rosa is going to have the strength. And that's what it's pretty much going to come down to. You know, Barella may be able to have some sort of advantage on the feet in terms of her striking. But I don't think she really has some crazy knockout power that De La Rosa is going to have to worry about. And I don't think that she's going to have the strength either to to, to keep De La Rosa off of her. So I love De La Rosa in this spot, uh, you know. Her, her striking leaves a little bit to be to be desired, but I don't think that's going to matter much here against Barella, who just seems to, you know, she she seems to get very demoralized in her in her corners, especially in that Lauren Murphy fight going into the second round or even in the third round. You know, she she seemed uh, disheartened. Uh, she seemed like she was already beaten, and I think that if De La Rosa implements her grappling heavy style from the get go, and if she doesn't get the finish in the first round. It could be issues for Barella. So uh, I like De La Rosa here. She's probably going to be a lock in that I play at least 3.5 units. Uh, she's currently around minus 167, minus 165 on some of my books. Uh, but I wouldn't even mind putting a little bit of a poke on her to win inside the distance at plus 305. So uh, I like De La Rosa here. I think I'm going to take her by third round submission or, or you know what i'll take her by second round submission i think that she just wears on barilla in the first round and then in the second round she really implements her jiu-jitsu and gets the victory there maybe a tko 
but I th- I don't think that Burla is going to have much success getting De La Rosa off of her. De La Rosa, in my opinion, she has top five grappling in that in that division. You know, she is a problem. Once she tightens up her striking a bit and she's able to, you know, uh, you know, tighten up her footwork and and really use her striking to set up her takedowns, she's going to be a problem. She has ton of potential still. She's only twenty four or twenty five. I believe the sky's the limit for her considering she's coming from such a grappling-heavy background. Um, I love her in this position. I just don't see how Romero really finishes her or beats her or even out-grapples her, which is where I think this fight is mostly going to take place. So I'm going to take De La Rosa by, by second-round submission uh, or third-round submission, maybe a late submission, whatever it is. But I like De La Rosa for sure here. She's probably going to be a lock and I play. Maybe 3.5 to 4 units. Love her in this spot. Next up, we got Devin Clark against short notice replacement Daquan Townsend. Devin Clark was actually supposed to go up against uh, Gadzmad Antigulov. Antigulov had to pull out and in steps Daquan Townsend on very short notice. So we're talking about less than 20 days later, less than 30 days later, less than a month later. He actually fought at UFC Raleigh, which was the card after the uh, Conor McGregor card. Um, and he lost a uh, uh, a decision to Bevan Lewis then. In his Devin Clark fight, uh, he's coming in as a plus 250, underdog. It's just tough to me to see how uh, Daquan even gets this fight. You know, he should probably be good. He's on a two-fight losing streak, but he never really shows anything in terms of, you know, being an actual winner. All the fights that actually mattered for him, you know, he's he's kind of shit the bed. Uh, the Dolce Lungiambula fight got completely starched there. The Bevan Lewis fight, you know, wasn't able to really um, close the distance or 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 get Bevan Lewis off of his game. With Devin Clark, I think he's you know I think he's gonna succumb to a little bit of the grappling pressure from Clark. My only qualm with with siding with Clark here is his chin. We've seen you know if he's not really able to to get his grappling going. And if his opponent lands on him, Clark starts to wilt a bit. And I think that Duquan, you know, as much as I just shat on him, he does hold a little bit of power. <coughs> Apologies. I think he does hold some power, and I, I think he could give some problems to Devin Clark. Am I willing to take the plus 255 shot on him? Probably not. Uh, you know, both guys are, are relatively low level. I believe Devin Clark will go out there and now grapple Daquan Townsend. And just in all of Townsend's fights that he's lost by decision, we're going to see him go buck wild in the last two and a half minutes. And uh, I don't like that for Clark. You know, Clark just seems to get clocked and and, and his chin doesn't always seem to be there. So I'm, this fight is a, a complete stay away fight for me. Not even betting the fight doesn't go to decision because either this is Devin Clark grapple fucking Daquan Townsend for three rounds or this is Daquan Townsend landing a Hail Mary shot in the first, second, or third round. I could see either scenario playing out. And a minus 310, not willing to play Devin Clark, plus 255 and the skill set that Daquan Townsend brings and, and lack of skill set, I should say, not willing to bet him either. So this is a complete pass fight for me. I'm going to go with Devin Clark actually grinding him out and winning by decision. Uh, but yeah, overall, passing on this fight, not even giving it a second thought. Let's move on to our co-main event, which is Diego Sanchez versus Michelle Pereira. The odds slightly getting better on Diego Sanchez. Minus 165 for Michelle Pereira, plus 145 for Diego Sanchez. This fight goes one of two ways. We see a crazy Michelle Pereira come out in that first two and three minutes, lands a weird shot on Diego Sanchez, puts him out, and we get Pereira win by first on uh, finish. Or 
we get Diego Sanchez moving around, moving around, letting Michelle Pereira gas himself out, and then come the second round, start to implement a grapple-heavy approach. We saw Tristan Connolly, a much smaller man than Diego Sanchez, be able to go out there and ride out Michelle Pereira. Diego Sanchez, I believe, has a little bit better grappling and, and better takedowns than Tristan Connolly, and uh, I believe he'd be able to get Pereira down and, and, and make it a very, very long night for him. Which is why I'm staying away from this fight. I, I kind of set my mark at plus 200 for Diego Sanchez because uh, I believe, like, I am going to take Michelle Pereira to win by first round TKO. But I could absolutely see a situation where we see Diego Sanchez grind out Pereira after Pereira, you know, uh, tires himself out. I believe Pereira is going to have a little bit of a speed advantage in that first round, which is why I think that Pereira will get the finish. Um, but. We've seen crazy things happen where the knockout punch doesn't happen. Michelle Pereira starts to slow down. Tristan Carnley goes out there and grinds him out. So I believe Diego Sanchez is just as uh, capable of doing what Tristan Carnley did as long as his chin holds up for him. I'm not banking on either outcome here. Um, in terms of, yeah, the fight doesn't go to decision. is minus 190. Sanchez wins inside the distance, plus 360. Sanchez by decision, plus 255. Uh, I would take Sanchez by decision plus 255 if I really wanted to bet on this fight. Uh, Michelle Pereira, you know, by finish is minus 130. Not willing to take that either. So for me, it's a pass. I'm going to say Pereira by first round KO, but I can absolutely see Diego Sanchez going out there and grinding him out, which is why this pass, this fight is a complete pass for me. Just like the uh, the Yancy Medeiros and Lando Venata fight, I think it's going to be absolute chaos. Uh, and uh, you can't confidently say that either side is for sure going to win. So if you're somehow you know, going out there and staking more than two or three units on this fight, you got to be a little bit cuckoo. <laughs> That's just me being completely honest. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go Pereira first round KO. And we get uh, Diego Sanchez hopefully just going into retirement after this. What's that going to be for him? Uh, one straight loss, <laughs> you know, he beat Craig White and Mickey Gall, uh, you know, just been exchanging wins and losses recently, so it's tough to, to to build a case for Diego Sanchez here. All right, that brings us to our main event, Corey Anderson against Jan Blachowicz. This is a rematch, like I said, right off the bat. So the first time they fought, uh, you know, Jan Blachowicz had a little bit of success in that first round. Uh, you know, he took Corey Anderson down. Corey Anderson was able to get back up. Corey Anderson took Jan down. Jan was able to get back up. But after that second round, it was the Corey Anderson show. Anderson was able to get him down pretty much at will. Um, had the better pace, had the better speed, had the better cardio. Uh, and it just was too much for Jan Blachowicz at the time. This fight took place in... 2015 September 2015 which was UFC 191 and now we're in 2020 almost five years later from the first time they fought and both guys have progressed their game uh tenfold in my opinion I, I want to say Jan Blachowicz progressed a little bit better and more just due to the fact that you know he was not the level of Corey Anderson back then but I believe that Corey Anderson has gotten better too Start off with Corey Anderson. Four straight victories. Patrick Cummins, Glover Teixeira, Allure Latifi, and Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker being a little bit of the anomaly here because he goes out there and finishes him within two minutes. And I believe I touched on this after that fight actually happened. And I had Corey Anderson uh, straight and I had him by or by or inside the distance due to the fact that I thought that Johnny Walker was, you know, he was going to completely whiff in that first round, second round, then the third round, Corey Anderson was going to go out there and TKO him with his pace, but he goes out there and, and, and finishes him. In the first round, 
What I thought actually happened there is Corey Anderson landed a great shot on Johnny Walker while Johnny Walker was kind of off balance and it looked like he stunned Walker, but that just gave this adrenaline to Corey Anderson to go out there and 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 pursue the finish even harder and that's kind of how the finish came about. If you guys notice it, it took Corey Anderson a little bit to actually put away Johnny Walker, but that was just due to the fact that he really wasn't that hurt off of that first shot that landed. So maybe false hope sometimes works out there. And, and luckily for him, Johnny Walker wasn't able to land a clean enough counter to actually put Corey Anderson out. Corey Anderson goes out there, gets a beautiful finish, and you know probably should have gotten a title shot after that. But probably will get a title shot if he's able to get by Jan Blahovic here. So we know Corey Anderson's style. They call him overtime for a reason. He loves pushing the pace. He loves staying in his uh, opponent's face. Uh, jabbing your face off, consistent movement, mixing takedowns. I believe he had the most uh, amount of landed takedowns in the light heavyweight division. I believe that is still true. Um, you know, that, that pace he's going to be able to put on, guys, is, is a little bit too much. We saw Jan Blachowicz kind of slow down against Thiago Santos. Uh, and then, you know, in the Jacare Souza fight, he went the full five rounds. And he was fine, but he was going up against a Jacare Souza that, that's not able to push the pace as much of a, as a Corey Anderson. So, um, you know, Blachowicz has made plenty of uh, improvements since that fight himself. You know, big wins over Jimmy Manuel and Nikita Krylov, Luke Rockhold and Jacare Souza. But he did lose that fight to Thiago Santos, sandwich in there. But he's improved his takedown defense. He's improved his striking. He has improved power as well. So that's always going to be a concern in terms of Corey Anderson's chin. But one stat I do want to throw out there for people uh, in terms of Corey Anderson's chin. The last time he got put out was November of 2017. So closing in on two and a half years of when that actually occurred. Um you know, I, he has fought pretty heavy punchers after that too. Glover Teixeira, Ilir Latifi, Johnny Walker was able to sustain all of those as well. Jan Blachowicz may have the power to knock him out too, but uh, I don't know he, if he's going to be able to land cleanly enough. It's going to be have to be a very calculated first two rounds for Corey Anderson to go out there and then, you know, take this fight away in the third, fourth, and fifth round. Uh, I believe he has the ability to finish Jan late because I think his cardio will be able to hold up here. Um... And we did see Jan start to slow down later in that that fight against Jacare Souza. Again, does not have the best cardio himself too. So I'm interested to see how Jan looks in the third and fourth round against Corey Anderson, who's always going to be go, 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 ne- never really giving Jan a time to rest. So I think that's where it becomes a little bit iffy for Jan. I love the line on Corey Anderson, if I'm being completely honest. Minus 190, minus 185, not bad. I think that we're going to see a little bit of uh, money come in on Blahovic in the next couple of days too. So I'd sit back and wait and see if we can get Corey Anderson around that minus 175. But Corey Anderson was actually a line that I was looking at uh, parlaying with Holland Paiva. I know it's good to probably play, play both of these guys straight. But I was thinking of making a, a 2 or 2.5 unit bet on that parlay. Uh, currently on uh, sport bet, we have Corey Anderson at minus 186. I just want to see what the parlay of with... Uh, Holland Paiva minus two hundred five plus one twenty nine plus one thirty not bad, a two unit stab on on that is is not bad and and two guys I I believe are even lock of the night worthy but considering how many other spots I see on this card I'm going to be a little bit more more uh, disciplined with that I'll probably take Mark De La Rosa and Mirab Devalishvili as my possible lock of the night plays uh, and then just parlay Corey Anderson and Holland Paiva um, but yeah. It's tough for me to see how Blakovich wins this fight. Other than a knockout, um, you know, 
if he continuously fends off the takedowns of Corey Anderson in that first and second round, he could probably catch Corey Anderson in that aspect. But I truly think the best game plan for Corey Anderson is here is don't even bother shooting a takedown in that first and second round. You know, make Jan believe that it's going to be a striking battle. Go out there, outpoint him, stick the jab in his face, you know, throw some combinations, end with a leg kick, keep moving. Don't allow Jan Blachowicz to really land a perfect shot on you. And then in that third round where Jan Blachowicz starts to slow down a little bit, starts to suck wind a little bit, not have as quick as a reflex or or or, or a counter as he did in the first two rounds, then start implementing your wrestling. Then start grinding Jan Blachowicz out, push him up against the cage, drag him down, make it a dirty fight. That's where I be, believe Corey Anderson will, will thrive. So if my only concern is Corey Anderson's chin, and we haven't seen him knocked out in two and a half years, even after going up against guys who hit really, really hard, maybe even harder than Blahovich, it's kind of a no-brainer here to, to 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 take Corey Anderson even better than minus two hundred in a five-rounder, especially. You got to think that the advantage is here is going to be to Corey Anderson. People can say what they want about Jan Blahovich going the the full five rounds against Jacare Souza. He is not going to see, you know, the pace that Jacare Souza put on him. He's going to see a Corey Anderson, Corey overtime Anderson pace which is, in my opinion, is going to be a little bit too much here. So outside of a Hail Mary KO, I think this is a Corey Anderson decision waiting to happen. Maybe even a fifth round, fourth round stoppage due to Blahovich just just slowing down too much. But I'm loving Corey Anderson here. Uh, I'm too I'm too shy to, to play the Corey Anderson to win by decision, which is uh, plus 150. Corey Anderson inside the distance is plus 180. I would rather just go the safest route and play Corey Anderson straight or parlay him like I was saying with Holland Paiva. That's probably going to be my game plan going into this, but we'll see as the week progresses and where these lines actually go. But I love Corey Anderson. I'm going to take Corey Anderson by decision. Um, again, pick him apart on the feet for the first two rounds. I don't believe that's going to be his strategy. I think he's going to try to mix it up as much as possible. You know, takedowns and, and striking and all that. But I truly hope that he doesn't go out there and try to force the takedown, which may open up something for Jan Blachowicz to 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 take advantage of and get a KO himself. So, yeah, good run by Jan Blachowicz taking out Luke Rockhold and Jacare Souza. But I think that this is really Corey Anderson's time. Um, and then he'll probably get the title shot after this, if I'm being completely honest. Corey Anderson, decision, but straight is probably the way to go, or as a parlay piece. All right, that's UFC Rio Rancho. That was a great episode. I think I gave you guys a ton to digest there. Um, If you guys don't already know, I do release a Best Bets article on my Patreon page where I, you know, Thursday or Friday, I put together little blurbs about each event or sorry, each fight and what I believe the best bet is there, whether it's a a prop bet, whether it's an over-under or a straight. I try to rely on the over-under and straights just so more people are allowed to actually or able to to tell them. But if there are certain situations like I had Andrea Lee via decision in the last uh, article, that was just due to the fact that there are too many juiced odds and, you know, you can't always... um, you can't always predict whether there's going to be shitty judging or not. But uh, yeah, I always try to give the best bet for each matchup. And then also I drop a video on a, on the Friday before the event as well to give you my final thoughts in case anything has changed. And then obviously whenever I do charge the public, I give you guys, I give the Patreon members my, my bets for no extra cost. Uh, and then lastly, the tape index. I just want to plug that for you guys real quick. If you guys are watching me, you guys already know what the tape index is about. 
all of your gambling needs, everything on one site. You guys just click, fight shows up that you need. Uh, Topology page, Instagram page. It's great for anybody that's making the UFC debuts. Like a Shanna, Shanna Young, most of her fights are in Invicta, but there are a couple that I had to scour the internet for. You guys don't have to do that work anymore. You guys don't have to do the browsing. Just fucking pull up the page, book the the page, click on it, and you have everything that you need to study and make an educated uh, guess and bet on the upcoming events. I have We have everything for the next four weeks as well, too, so you guys can even get ahead of the schedule if you like. All right, I'm going to shut my mouth so that we can uh, wrap this episode up, and uh, I will see you guys next week. Good luck on your bets, uh, and let's cast this shit. See ya.